to the Word of God here. I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. I just gave you a, um, uh, what's the first meal when you go to a restaurant? The starter. That, that, that's just to, 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 to shock you into reality. But this is really, this is the Word of God that we're going to this morning. The Word of God is so powerful, so essential, and I want you to go to it. We, I'm going to finish this morning, and next Sunday morning is our anniversary time that we spread over uh, a few weeks now. I preached part one of this called the Samuel Church and three different kinds of leadership. Ten years ago, we started this church with three messages called Choose Your Church that gave birth to this church, not realizing that everyone sitting in those meetings was going to have to make a, ch a choice about what kind of church they wanted to be a part of. Now, ten years later, I'm preaching these three messages on three different kinds of leadership that Samuel the prophet or the Samuel church has to relate to or interact with. Reading from 1 Samuel chapter 8. And in dealing with these, we're dealing a lot with your choices, your decisions about you getting your way or you desiring God's way. You do want to hear what I'm going to say, what I have been saying. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1. And it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of the firstborn was Joel, and in the name of the second, Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. And the sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre, and took bribes and perverted judgment. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah and said unto him, Behold, thou art old. Imagine being told that. And thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge over us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken and notice this so carefully. The Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up, out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee, Samuel. Now therefore hearken unto their voice. How be it yet protest solemnly unto them and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. And Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that asked of him a king. And the next following verses are all of that instruction. But let me take you down to verse 19. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. They said, nay, but we will have a king over us. 
that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people and he rehearsed them in the ears of the Lord. It's good to go to the Lord when there's a problem, isn't it? Take it to the Lord in prayer. And the Lord said to Samuel, hearken unto their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said unto the, man, the men of Israel, go ye every man unto his city. Let's pray together. Father, we tremble even in reading these words from this chapter. Lord God, that God's people could reject your rule through a prophet of God, a righteous and a holy judge, a man that could make it thunder from heaven against the armies of God, that they would reject such rule through a man of God, a man of character, a man who prophesies from your throne. And Lord God, to choose to desire leadership, nor God, a king of their own thinking, of their own imagination. Lord God, it makes me to tremble to think that you would actually give people what they desire. It makes me to tremble that you would give me what I demand of you, what I insist upon against your greater wisdom, against your word, against the provisions that you give. Lord God, we ask of you as an entire church, don't give us what we demand. Don't give us what our natural thinking would say. But oh God, we desire to submit ourselves to your word, to your desires. We ask of you as a church, even during this 10th anniversary, my God, let your eyes be in this place. Let your heart be in the midst of this church. Lord God, don't give us what we demand, what we think, what we desire. But oh God, I pray that you have your way in this church, and that this church will be your servant, your mouthpiece, your vessel. Lord God, that we have be found submitted to your will, to your desires, to your longings. Lord God, that your burden may be laid upon us. In Jesus' name, do not take your Holy Spirit from us. Do not remove your word from the midst of us. My God, we ask of you that you preserve us as a Samuel church. Make us to be a Samuel church. Lord God, let none of our words fall to the ground, that you might be magnified. And Father, give us wisdom to know how to interact with the leadership, with the ministry of this hour and this generation. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. My message, part two, the Samuel church and three different kinds of leadership. Here this morning, we're going to deal with Saul leadership. Let me remind you again what I said in part one. I quoted from Psalm 106, verse 13 to 15. And it says, Israel waited not for God's counsel. His advice, that's what it means. His plain, clear purpose. Israel, God's people as a nation, could not wait. Do you know when you're so quick that you can't wait on God, you're on dangerous ground. When you're in such a rush to get something or go somewhere without God's direction, you're moving too fast. When you're determined to get your will and your desires and yet you know you've got no release from God. 
You may get something that's going to bite you, burn you, damage you, or destroy you. Maybe God hasn't given his counsel for a reason. And so when you insist on things, I know God hasn't spoken. I know what his word says, but I want this. I want to go there. I want to do this. I want to get my way. You will get burnt. But listen, they couldn't wait. Waiting takes patience. It takes time. It takes listening. You see, why would you wait on God's counsel? It's because he has a plan. He has a purpose. He has a way in the earth. Imagine not waiting on God's plan as God's people. Can you imagine leaders, preachers, Christians, mothers and fathers in the house of God, and they don't wait upon God's counsel. They're too impatient. Okay, well, I'll just do it. I'm just going to do this. I'm going to, I think this. You don't know how dangerous that is. You know, Churchill said, I found the enemy. Who do you think he was talking about? Hitler? No, he said, it was me. It was us. We were the enemy. You know why Churchill won? You know why Churchill was such a great man? He knew that he was the greatest of enemies in all the Second World War. Not Hitler. Hitler was number two. But he said, we looked for the enemy. He was us because he knew within his people could be the very ingredients that could bring their downfall. Hitler won't defeat us. We could defeat ourselves. I want to tell you it's the same in the church of Jesus Christ. It won't be the devil defeating the church. It'll be an impulsive people who don't wait on the counsel of God. I know what I'm doing. And so what was the result? But they lusted exceedingly in the wilderness. And people who are impatient, they are marked by lust. Lusting exceedingly. That's not talking about sexual lust. What that is is strong desires, urges, pushings, going, I know what I want. It's strong, deep, long and sin. This is what I want. And so they lusted exceedingly in the, in the wilderness and they tempted God in the desert. Do you know you can tempt God? You see, you know you can be tempted of the devil, but God's people can tempt God. You may say, how is it possible that Christians could tempt God? You know how you tempt God? We know God can't be tempted to sin. You know that. The Bible teaches that. No man can tempt God to sin. There's nothing within God could be moved to sin. Nothing at all. He is a holy and a righteous God. You can't tempt God. The devil doesn't tempt God. But how do you, God's people, tempt God? You know what that means? You're actually asking him, expecting him to come down and do things for you that's against his word, against his character, and against his will. That's how you tempt God. And so when you're desiring God, I want you to do this. But the word says, oh no, I want him to do this. Don't you realize the danger? I don't care. I want God to do this for me. You know, that's tempting God. You're actually asking him to act for you outside of his character. What do you think he's going to act with you the way he's not acted with anyone else or with great characters in the Bible? And so we see with Israel and he gave them their request. Tempting God, give me, give me, give me. Okay, I'll give you your request. That makes me tremble. I don't want this church to get its request, its way, or fulfill its ambitions. I do not want that. Do you realize the Bible actually teaches 
in different verses that a time comes where God gives his people, his church, those called by his name, their way, their request, even though he doesn't want to do it. A time actually comes when he knows something is bad for you, but because of your inclinations, your demands, your determinations, and it takes a long time to get there, that God says, okay, I'm going to give you your request, but it's going to send leanness into your heart. See the church when it gets its way. It's in a famine. You know, the church of the Western world, it's in a spiritual famine. You know, this church that was birthed 10 years ago, it is hard to find anything like it in this hour. It used to be normal. It used to be basic. It used to be obvious. It used to be everywhere. Now people search cities just for a simple local body, a real church that preaches truth, that gathers around holiness, that has the order of God. It is like hen's teeth. You can hardly find them. And in case you don't know, hens don't have teeth, okay? Just to give you a prompt on that. And so it's like hen's teeth. You can't find it anywhere. But I want to tell you, when I look at this generation of God's people, you know what it tells me? We have had a generation in the church who God said, okay, I'll give you what you want. I'm going to give you your request. I'm going to answer your prayers. Not all prayers that get answered are godly, spiritual, are good for you. God sometimes answers prayers, but he'll send famine into your soul. You want that? Okay. You want that job? Okay. You want to move? Okay. But you'll end up in a situation where you're in a spiritual famine, where you're famished, you're not being fed, you're dying of hunger. And I watched lots of people make decisions over the years. They made decisions that put them in a situation they wish they weren't in now. It says in Psalm 78, while their meat was in their mouths, the wrath of God came upon them and slew the fattest of them. Numbers 11 verse 20, and it come out of their nostrils and it was loathsome unto them. All this has a context in what I'm dealing with. Remember in part when I dealt with this Samuel church, this Samuel ministry, this prophet of God is going to interact with three different kinds of leadership that rise up amongst God's people. He was actually living in a time where there's going to be a governmental change of leadership. And I believe we're there. See, I believe we're on the verge in the body of Christ. We are just about to see a governmental, a mega change of leadership, the like of which you and I can't even imagine. I, I believe we're at the beginning, we're at the close of an era and the beginning of a brand new era where God is going to change governmentally leadership in the body of Christ. Oh yes, God has always dealt with elders and the fivefold ministry as taught in scripture. That never changes. But in my lifetime, I've seen leadership change time and time and time and time again. You know, when you study the life of Samuel, you see six different kinds of leadership that he saw come and go. Eli was a kind of leadership, nice, benign, but never deals with anything. He watched it fall. He watched the leadership of Hophni and Phinehas, the immorality, the vagabonds in the house of God. It, there was his own leadership as a prophet and judge. He walked that out. Then he watched his two sons, Joel 
and Vashni rise and fall very quickly. And in fact, he was involved with them. We dealt with that last week, how that he himself appointed his sons. There was no anointing of those men. There was no word from God. There was no command. He didn't even pray about it. He just raised up his own sons into leadership. We call that homegrown leadership. And you know what? It, it, it was just the natural thinking of a good and a godly man. Samuel was involved in raising his sons up in the ministry. And you know what? They quickly went in a different direction. They never had the real call of God upon them. They should never have been in ministry. He thought his influence was good enough. But here this morning, I want to go to the second kind of leadership that we're dealing with. And it's called a Saul kind of leadership. King Saul embodies a certain kind of leadership, very different than Samuel's sons. But I believe Saul is God given to his people a leadership that he reluctantly wants to give. He didn't want to give it. But because of their demand, he says, okay, I'm going to give you a Saul kind of leadership. And I believe it's all across the church in this hour. Look what it says in chapter 8, verse 1. And it came to pass, in other words, at a certain time when Samuel was old, that he made his sons judges over Israel. He's beginning to think, I'm old now. Be very careful when you think you're old. Oh, my best days as a Christian are over. I've preached for years. I've walked with God for years. You need to be very careful. I, I watched some years ago when I was much younger, a white-haired generation begin to hand over to teenagers and those in their 20s saying, let the next generation lead. It was disaster. 30 years ago, I watched it. Utter disaster. And I was almost screaming, pulling out my hair, not audibly, not uh, visibly. But in my heart, I went, these older preachers, leaders, all the rest are making a grave mistake. And they had believed the lie. We're old. Let's just hand over to teenagers. Let's change the church while they got their way. And now look at the state and condition of the church. It's utterly disastrous. And so Samuel, when he was old, he made his sons judges. Listen again in verse 5. When the elders come to him, and they said unto him, this is the elders of Israel, this is the leaders in the nation, speaking to Samuel. Behold, thou art old. Imagine saying that. Imagine you are a leader, a godly man, a faithful man, a man of prayer, a man who prophesies from God, a man that's seen the nation delivered. And here comes the elders of Israel saying, you're old. You're old-fashioned. You're old-hat. You're, you're, you're a has-been. We need something more. You're a faithful, godly man who walks with God. But here come the mature people amongst God's people and saying, you're old. Oh, tell me about it. Tell me. I know that every time I look in the mirror every morning. You've been around a long time. Tell me about it. You've seen a lot come and go. I know I have. I sure have. If you reject the wisdom of God, you may get something else you'll regret. You don't want that. And so they come to Samuel and say, Thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Notice they use the excuse of his sons. Samuel, you shouldn't have given them the opportunity. By appointing your own sons, naturally not anointed, not called, 
not led of the Spirit of God, you've given an opportunity for these elders to say, your sons are corrupt. And they begin to share how corrupt they are. But they're using this as an excuse. See, they want a king. They want their own leader. They've got in their minds what they want. They know the sort of leadership they want. I'm telling you, be careful what you desire. Be very careful that you think you know what you need. And you've got it all planned out. And it's not according to the will and the plan of God. And so they said unto him, your sons aren't walking in your ways. Now, that's a pretty strong word. Now, make us a king to judge us like all of the nations. Now, many commentators, many preachers, many Bible teachers say they were wrong. They shouldn't have asked a king. They shouldn't have wanted a king. It wasn't in God's plan to have a king. That's not true. That's not true. You need to listen carefully what I'm going to tell you here. You see, back in the Old Testament in Genesis 17 and 6, God speaking to Abraham, listen to what he says, many generations before, kings shall come out of thee. God is prophesying something good here. Abraham, you can't even have a child. You're a, you and your wife, you're barren. You can't even have one child that is birthed from your own wife. But let me just tell you, your seed is going to be like the stars of heaven and the sand on the seashore. And let me tell you more. Kings are going to come out of you. It was a promise. It was a good thing. It was a blessing. Leaders are going to be raised up out of you. Then in verse 16, he says to Sarah, kings of people shall be of her. Then a bit further on in Genesis, in chapter 35 and verse 11, God speaking to Jacob, prophesying to Jacob. Listen to what he says. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. In other words, out of Judah, I'm going to raise up a royal line. I'm going to raise up kings. I'm going to raise up those that sit on a throne with the scepter of a king. Do you see how God's plan to Abraham to Isaac, to Jacob, all the way down the line. There was a plan, a vision, that out of this small nation, great kings are going to arise. You see, God made provision in the law, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14 to 15. Listen to what he says. In the law of Moses, Moses was given this for the people. And thou shalt say, I will set a king over them. Like, as, sorry, and I will set a king over me, like as all the nations that are about me. From all of this, you begin to see that there was always a plan. God made provision in the law. He prophesied. He promised. He had a plan to raise up kings. But he wanted to give kings of a certain kind, of a certain temperament. Now, let's go back here to Samuel the elders come to him and demand, we want a king and we want it now. Look at your sons. Look at what you have provided for us. You see, Samuel's greatest danger was going, I'm old. I've got to create leadership. Do you know how old he was here? About in his 50s, maybe 60 years old at the very most. And he's going, I'm old. 
so I better bring my sons in to be judges. Do you know how much longer he lives? He dies at 90 years old. In other words, he's got more than 30 years in ministry. Samuel, but because he's old, he feels he needs to put his sons in ministry because what else does he do? You need to be very careful thinking you know the will of God. Well, I'm old. I'm in my 50s. I'm 60 years old. So I better start making provisions in case I disappear. You know what you do? You can make mistakes because of natural thinking. Samuel here has at least 30 years, maybe 35 years, maybe longer, that he's still going to minister. But look at the people that are saying, you are old now. Now we need a king. Let me tell you the crux of the matter. If Samuel had waited and the elders had waited, the first king of Israel would have been a young shepherd boy called David. Do you hear me? They would have went from judges and prophets straight into the kingship of young David. Do you know that was God's plan? That's God's perfect, perfect will. That was God's purpose. Yes, a king is going to arise. But do you know what? It's going to be at the end of the ministry of Samuel. You see, the church is impatient. We need to go with trends. This is the latest leadership structure. You know, all across the church for 30 years, I've watched suddenly people stop talking about elders, even though it's all through the Bible. That's a biblical teaching. You know, we have leadership teams now. And they give leadership teams all sorts of different definitions in the local church. Do you know what you've immediately lost is qualifications for eldership? When you don't call them elders anymore, you can have a mishmash of everybody's dog. Do you hear me? In the church. I traveled around enough to see it time after time after time. Oh, here's our leadership team. Do you mean elders? No, they're not elders. It's just my leadership team. Okay, your henchmen. Is that what you mean? You've actually built this structure giving them a pulpit, giving them power and influence in the church. They have their little ministry counsel and deliverance, inner healing, prophecies, all of the rest. And yet it's not according to the biblical pattern. Do you realize it, if Samuel had waited, if the elders had waited, what a difference. Samuel lives long enough to see the young shepherd boy, David, arise. They could have had a man like David if they hadn't have rejected Samuel. What a terrible thing. And so we see they preempted God's plan. Maybe they went to the Bible and said, but the Bible says, the Bible says we're going to have kings. We've never had kings. He said to Abraham, said to Jacob, said to Moses in the law, surely we can create this. After all, we've just got the scripture. Are you led of the spirit of God? See, I'm worried there's much needed in the body of Christ in this hour. There's many ministries that are needed. Many things are needed. And I've watched this carefully and prayed into it for 30 years. And you know, I see men saying, let's do this. There's a need. Scripture talks about it. Nothing wrong with it. Let's do it. Fine, you go do it. I want to be a Samuel. I want to be led of God. I want to pray. I want to know the timing of God. I want to know the mind of God. And so Samuel was going to live long enough or could have lived long enough, well enough, and prophesy clear enough 
with enough energy, strength, and power until the time that God would raise up a king who had his heart, that had his desires, that had his burden, that had his word. Can you imagine Samuel's ministry would last that long? But do you know what they do? They preempted and said, give us a king right now. It wasn't wrong to ask for a king or a leader. It wasn't biblically wrong. It wasn't even wrong according to God's will. Do you know what's wrong? Their motive, their agenda, their timing. I can't wait 30 years. I can't wait a year for a guy or a girl. I, I, I've got to do something. God's not acting. God's not answering my prayers. I'll bring it about. You may regret the day you ever thought that. You sidestep and go, God's not speaking to me. God's not bringing. God's not doing. So I'll bring it about. God's not opening a door to ministry. So I will create it. Oh, you will. You definitely will. You need to be so, so careful at this point. Make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Do you see what their motive and desire was? Their eyes are on the nations. They don't say according to the word of God, according to what you prophesied to Abraham and Sarah, according to what you said to Jacob. We want kings that are after your heart. They don't say that. They said, we've been looking at the nations, all the nations around us. We don't look like them. We don't function like them. You know, in my lifetime, they brought business techniques into the church and they created church leadership following business techniques. You should have went to the SAS, would have been far, far better, I want to tell you. Should have used a military pattern, far, far superior. You know why? And, and please forgive me, you Irish folk, for using the name, but Mr. Cromwell created the British Army. He actually engineered what the army was to be. Guess where he got his pattern? the Bible. He was a lover of the Word of God. And he said, the army in Britain is going to be according to the pattern of the Word of God. That's why you get more out of the army structure than you will any business techniques. But we brought all of this over into the church, conformity to leadership of this world, not biblical kingship, but kingship in the mold of the nations, according to the world system. You look at the social life of the nation, of the nations of the Western world. You look at the business world. You, you look at our culture and you say, we want a trendy leadership. You know what you have all across the Western world and the mega churches? You have all these preachers. Maybe they've moved on to something else now. But in my lifetime, they get up there with jeans with holes in them. Now, I'm telling you, someone who walks about with jeans with holes in them, I feel like giving them a, a handout. I, I go, obviously, you know, no one would buy jeans, designer jeans like that. There's no, there's no way that you're going to buy a cut-up pair of jeans with bits of material missing. I, 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 there's no way that would happen. Surely not. Maybe it would happen in the world, but not in the pulpit, would it? Oh, yes, it did. You know, over the past 20 years, pastors, you couldn't turn up to a leader's meeting unless you dressed down, unless you're casual unless you're trendy, unless you're worldly. I, I, I don't say a man. I don't insist on in ties or shirts or jackets or anything else. But I'm telling you, there's something wrong with a man who in the things of God dresses like the world, feels like he has to become like some vagabond on the streets in order to be a trendy leader. The whole thing, that tells me that's not God's mind. 
That's not the principles of God. So here you have the elders and they come to Samuel and say, give us a king according to the world. This was a shocking thing to this man of God, this prophet of God, this judge in Israel. They want judgment like the world does. They want a contemporary style. They want to be up with the times. They want to be on the latest cutting edge of everything. They want to be fashionable. They want a centralized system of government amongst God's people. And do you know what? They want organized outward glory. You know the thing about Saul's kind of kingship? It impresses the eye. It's organized. It's dynamic. It's built on numbers. You are going to be impressed when you see it. All of this come out of the hand of heart of men. God says, I'm going to give you a king. Says to Samuel, Samuel is utterly disgusted when he hears. He goes, no, don't do this thing. Really, you don't want to do this thing. But you know what God says to him? He says, listen to the people. Can you imagine a prophet of God when the people are demanding something that's bad for them, preempting his plan by at least 30 years? And God actually says to Samuel, a man of God, integrity, who walks with him, no, stop that. I want you to actually do it and be a part of it. Can you imagine that? So amongst God's people, when Saul leadership arises, Samuel has to interact with them. When Israel, God's people, is demanding something that God doesn't want to give, but now he's going to give it. Do you know what he does? The real man of God in the midst, he says, I want you to be a vital part of this. I want you to interact with this that I'm going to give them. It says in verse 6, but the thing displeased Samuel. Look at Samuel. He is grieved when they said, give us a king to judge us. Am I not judging you? Have I not been judging you through these years? But you're demanding a king. You're old. We want to judge a king, not, not a prophet to judge. We don't want a preacher to judge us and weigh the balances. We want a king, trendy leadership. Let him. Yeah, I know what sort of judgment you're going to get as well. You want to reject a man who speaks from God, who walks with God, you will get something else. Listen to what Samuel then done. When they're asking him, he's learned from his own sons, appointing his sons. And it says, and Samuel prayed unto the Lord. Thank God he did. You see, if you didn't pray at that point, you would just reject the whole thing out of hand. You'd walk off to the desert and say, I'm not touching it, wouldn't you? You'd say, I'm a biblical Christian, a godly Christian. I'm not having anything to do with this. You know what God said? As soon as he began to pray, as soon as he began to pray, he comes into God's mind. He's displeased. He rejects it. He's against it. He's screaming, no, don't do this. God says, no, this is my will. I want you to be a vital part for the next 25 or 30 years. I want you to be there ministering to this king preaching to this king, dealing with this king, working with this king. I want you to be the primary mover and shaker. I want you to be my vessel dealing with them. And the Lord said unto Samuel, hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto you, for they have not rejected thee. You see, he's saying they're rejecting my leadership, godly character. Samuel's leadership was filled with character. Oh, it had the supernatural, had answered prayers, 
had revival, had the destruction of the enemy. Remember when he prayed, imagine rejecting a man like this. Remember what happened when the enemy come up before under Samuel? All the Philistines, all the soldiers, all the enemies come up. Do you know what Samuel done? He went to prayer and God thundered from heaven and sent an earthquake and destroyed them. That's a victory. And now you're going, no, give us a king like the nations to fight our enemies and to judge us. Are you serious? Didn't you see the supernatural work? You see, God is saying to Samuel, they're not rejecting you, but they're rejecting me. That shows to reject Samuel, his kind of leadership, what he embodied, his preaching, his praying, his lifestyle, his leadership style. To reject that, you're rejecting God. I believe in the church of our day, many in the church are rejecting character-filled, godly, mature, old leadership. And by it, they're rejecting God himself, but they don't think that. Say, no, no, we're moving with the latest. We want the real. We want to be with the times. And they're making a grave mistake. But God says to Samuel, they're not rejecting you. It's not personal. It's not about you. It's not anything in your ministry. They're actually rejecting me that I should not reign over them. See, they had a king and they couldn't see it. God was their king. God was their leader. They were under his authority, under his rules. But they wanted something more physical that they could interact with. Oh, yes, we can pray to him. We can worship him. We can hear his commands from a prophet. But we want a leader. We can look at. We can praise. We can run after. We can manipulate. I want to tell you, you know, whatever you get, you know, when leadership is after your heart, you can control it. Remember, this is God giving the people Saul was the answer to the people's desire. I'm going to give you exactly what you want. You know, the word rejected means to cast away. It means refuge, waste, worthless. So they're taking Samuel's ministry of prophecy, maybe one of the greatest prophets that ever lived. As far as character, integrity, uprightness about money, about women, about order, not abusing folk. And they literally throw him in the waste bin. They reject him. Non-personal Samuel, we just want a king like the world. We want a king according to our desire. But listen to what God says to him. Now therefore hearken unto their voice. How be it yet protest solemnly. I want you to work with them. I want you to tell them, I'm going to give them the desires of their heart. I'm going to give them the leader they deserve, and they're not going to like it. I'm going to give them the leadership they want. They're not going to like it. But do you know what? Here and now, Samuel, I want you to protest solemnly unto them, and then to show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. And ye shall cry out in that day because of your king. You know what he tells them? You, when you get your way, you're going to cry out and wish you didn't have this king. Over the following verses, he begins to tell them what sort of king this is. In seven verses, he says six times, he, that king that you're going to get, will take from you. He'll take your young men. He'll take your women. He'll take your money. He'll take your food stock. He'll take your possession. He'll take your inheritance. Six times. 
Samuel is there warning them, saying, okay, God's going to give you a king. So here he is. This is what he's going to look like. Do you know at the end of it, they still say, we want this. I found there's people in the church. Doesn't matter how. See, I used to think with all the bad leadership and no preaching and no godliness and no care, if you just put the right preaching in and the right care and the right leadership, everyone's going to walk right. It's not true. Because you know what? You can have all of that and you reject and say, no, I understand, but I want my way. I know what you're preaching. Yes, it's biblical, but I'm going to do it this way. What a dangerous, dangerous thing. And so the greater the visible, physical glory of the kingdom, the greater the burden upon the people. You want a great impressive leadership structure? It will stifle you. You want a leadership that this world's going to look at and be impressed with? You will suffer. You want a church that this city of Limerick is going to be impressed with and is going to bless you and say, oh, what a wonderful church you have. You want the city, your family members to say, isn't LCC such a lovely, wonderful church? I hope some of them say that, but I certainly know some don't. I tell you, you will get a church you wish you had never had. It'll become a burden and a snare onto you. Oh, yes, it'll be lovely, acceptable, pliable. It'll be noted in this nation of Ireland. Politicians in this hour will notice it. School teachers will notice it. The guards on the street will notice it. But I want to tell you, that church will become a curse to you. I would rather have a church that's formed according to God's heart and God's mind. It may be opposed, rejected, laughed at, misunderstood, but it's going to be according to God's heart, and that's what I want. I want to close here. This is going to be my beginning point, but I've just moved it to be in my closing point, okay, to be very gracious to you. I want to give you five points of interaction between Samuel and this Saul leadership. Five distinct points. And I want you to see, this is a gap filler between Samuel and David that's going to be for a whole period of 40 odd years that God never wanted to give. But it's according to his people's will, desire and demands. And he says, I'm giving it to you. So Samuel has to interact with it. And I believe us as a Samuel church, we have done, we are, and we will in the future. We're going to have to interact with different kinds of leadership. God help us. I hope it's not homegrown leadership like Samuel's sons. But we will have to deal with Saul leadership, I assure you. We have done. We are. We will do. There's a type of leadership we're interacting with. And you say, why speak to them? Because God says. Why bother with them? Why try to warn them? Because God says. Here's my five points of how Samuel interacts. And you better understand this as a church. Number one, in choosing and anointing. You're going to be a part of the choosing process of Saul. But I thought it was the people, the rebels, the elders who want Saul. Oh, yes, they want it. They demand it. They're getting it. But God says, I will choose. God is going to choose Saul. 
You say, how can that be? How can it be a ministry according to their heart, but God's going to choose the man? You know what he's going to give them? The best that they could possibly imagine. He is going to choose the best that they are going to get in that category. They are giving him all the rules, the lines, and saying, this is what I want. Okay, I'll, I'll not give you the worst of what you want. I'll give you the very best. Saul was the best you're going to get with man's choice. Saul is the best of man getting his way. Saul is the best after the veneer of this world's generation. And so we see with the choosing and anointing, Samuel is brought in. You're going to pinpoint the man. You're going to find the man. You see, at this point, young Saul is only a young man. Remember where they first meet? He's looking for his father's donkeys. Do you remember that? He's a big guy. Listen, it says Saul, a choice young man and goodly, goodly looking. And there was not among the children of Israel, Israel a goodlier person than he. In other words, he is beautiful. You young ladies would be going, wow. Okay, I know, I know none of you do that. But you would have with him. He was a, there was none goodlier than him. Do you see what God's saying? I'll give you what you think is good. If you think that is good, I'll give you it. But you're not wise. If you actually think that's a sign of something good within, you know, you can have something that looks very beautiful outside. It's poison inside. It's deadly. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the other. He stood out. He was higher than any of the people from the shoulder upwards. And Samuel knew everything about him. You know what God tells him? God says, this time tomorrow, he's going to come knock at your door. Do you know he doesn't even know who Samuel is? Samuel's the national prophet. Samuel is God reigning in the nation. Samuel is God speaking to the nation. Do you know Saul doesn't even know who he is? It's one of his servants says, you know, there's a seer, a prophet over here. Why don't we go ask him where the donkeys are so that we're not wandering about here. We're going crazy in circles. So you come to a man of God, God's leadership. You can't even see what it is. All you're thinking is someone to help me. Someone help me find my donkeys. My problem to see me walking in circles. You can't even, you don't even understand what leadership in God's house is. Here's Saul coming, going, leadership is to help you find your donkeys. And God help me, I hope there's no one thinking that in here this morning. If you've lost your donkeys, please do not come to me at the end of the meeting. I've got nothing to say to you. I'm not a Samuel. And so you have them come and knock on this door. God says, I'll tell you who he is. I've chosen him. He's going to knock on your door this time tomorrow. He's looking for lost donkeys. Samuel knew everything about him. Saul knew nothing about Samuel. And yet Saul's the nobody. Samuel is the somebody. It's back to front. It's a lot of things back to front in the church. And you know what? When he comes, and you know the story. There's a whole story to this. But listen, and Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head, and kissed him, and said, Is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? Samuel anointed Saul. Samuel 
revealed the call to him. Samuel prophesied to him. Samuel kissed him. Samuel put his blessing. He'd done this secretly, hidden in a room, away from all the eyes, and then said, God's going to reveal it publicly. Now God raises Saul up to be the first king, and the entire nation gather, and they begin to draw lots. They go down to the tribe of Benjamin. Then they get to his father's house, Kish. Wow, we're getting close now. One household. Then they draw lots again and go, it's Saul. Where is he? Where is he? He's hiding in the stuff. What a humble man. You see, God chose someone that was the best you're going to get. And you know, when you find him, you find a man who is humble. He is hiding. It says in chapter 15, 17, when I was little in thine own sight, was thou made head of all the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. God done that. So Samuel is going to be a part of this, the calling, the choosing, the preparation, the instruction. And he begins to teach Saul, if you serve God, if you follow God, if you obey God, if you listen to God, if you follow God, if you do the will of God, then you'll have blessings. Your house will be established for many generations and you'll have everything that you desire. Do you know God interacts with people? See, God is sovereign. He knows all things. He knows everything that's going to happen. But he interacts with everyone on the same level. If you listen to me, I'll bless you. If you listen to me, I'll use you. And you go, but he knew everything. He knew Saul wouldn't do it. But why does he do this? You know why? God is honorable. God is righteous. God works on a level playing field. And so Samuel has to interact with this young king that's being raised up. And we know that he goes back to his farm, his labors, just goes right back again. Doesn't have a palace, doesn't have a, 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 um, a throne, doesn't have a crown on his head. He just goes right back again after being elected by the entire nation. And he gets word the enemies invaded the nation. The Philistines are on the march, a massive army. Do you know what happens? It says he gets angry. This, no, let me tell you what happened before that. The Spirit of God came on him, then he got angry. You should never get angry. Who says? Who says? The Spirit of God came on him, then he got angry when he heard about the enemy invading. That anger was not natural anger. Here's someone that couldn't even find his father's donkeys. Now suddenly when the anointing is on him and the spirit comes on him, suddenly in one hour he hears of the invasion of the army. Do you know what he does? He gets angry and he calls the whole nation together. And when you read the story, 300,000 men come out of villages. They don't even have proper weapons. 300,000. Well, who's calling them? An anointed king of Israel. Do you see, when Samuel is interacting with him, remarkable things happen. The Spirit of God comes on him. God uses him. 300,000 arise out of nowhere, and they defeat the enemy. That was the power of God. See, when you get a king in the right place or leadership in the right place, God can work. Number two, because we don't stay in number one very long. See, interacting, advising, counseling, encouraging, helping, anointing, directing. Number two, confrontation and correction. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 1 and 2, 
Saul reigned one year. And when he had reigned two years over Israel, then we're told what happens next. Two years. Two years he stays humble. Two years he's meek and kind to those that speak against him. Two years he listens to God. Two years he operates under the anointing of the power of the Holy Spirit. For two years, you know when he goes out against the enemy, do you know what he says? When he calls the 300,000 together, he says, come after Saul and Samuel. In other words, he was aligned with this prophet of God, Samuel. He said, let's go fight. And you know what? I've got Samuel with me, the prophet of God. He's right here. I'm making sure I've got a man of God, a prophet from heaven that's standing beside me. Now let's go fight the enemy. There was unity. That didn't last very long. You know, there's people who listen to preachers and they go, I'm with you. I believe this. I'll stand. As soon as you deal with something in their life, as soon as they do something wrong, we've had so many people say, God's called me here. I'm here. God brought me here. I'm telling you, be careful. We once had someone sitting in here. And there, they had a lady, an older lady with them. And they actually said, if you don't come to my church, I'll never, ever speak to you again. And that was wrong. But he got her here. He said, I won't even speak to you. He's not here this morning. So I don't like those statements. I don't like that attitude. He was going to ostracize someone because they didn't come to history. He, he was vibrant. He used to talk to everyone saying, this is the only church in Limerick that preaches the word. I've never once said that. He did. He's not even here. Do you know what? When he bought a car that he couldn't insure and driving down the street waving at us, all chuffed about his car, and then you go, how come you got insurance when you don't have the money for it? Suddenly we become the enemy. That's how quickly it happens. I could give you a hundred, nay, a thousand stories like this. The real true stories just in the time of this church. That's what people are like. And you know what? This second point, confrontation and correction. Two years, he's going to be king for 40 years. Saul is. But two years, he's on a right walk with Samuel. Then it's going to radically change. Do you know what actually happens here? The Philistines invade again. There's another attack just like the enemies are attacking Israel this morning. You go, again? What again? Are you doing this again? How many times do you want to be defeated? You know what it was? It was the same with Israel. The Philistines attack again. The Philistines attack again. They're relentless until they're ultimately defeated. Do you know what happens when these armies come up again? And Samuel said to Saul, now you wait on me. I'll be up in seven days. And we'll do sacrifice, then we'll go to war. Saul is there waiting, waiting, waiting. He waits seven days, but it got to the last day. He's looking at his watch and he says, I can't wait any longer. And he moves into Samuel's ministry and he prepares the sacrifice and offers it up. And Samuel comes. You see, you can't change ministries. Do you know men who stepped into ministries that were not called in in the Bible? 
come under harsh judgments. You can't change. Kings cannot become priests. You, you can't just jump ministries. There's only two men done that in the entire Bible. And God was pleased with them. Only two. You know who they were? Samuel and David. Those are the only two men who weren't priests who could put the linen effort on. The only two outside the priesthood. Kings got judged for doing that. Kings got cancer for doing that. Do you know what? You should not step outside your ministry. There's people trying to be pastors. They're hurting people. There's people should be out preaching, evangelizing. They shouldn't be in here. And you know, there's others who are out on the streets. They should be in a pulpit in some church. There's some trying to prophesy. You ought to get back to preaching the word of God, not prophesying. And so you had here that Saul couldn't wait. He's only two years in this anointed of God, and he can't wait on a man of God. You see, already he's, be, be, he's gone, I'm important, I'm the king, I'm in leadership. Two years, you don't know what you're doing. Some people are saved a year, and they start telling me what to do, trying to educate me. Go, man, you barely read the Bible one time. You don't even know your left hand from your right hand, and there's nothing wrong with that. But you, you, you need to give time. You're, you're getting the attitudes that are going to lead you wrongly. You need to be so careful. And so here is Saul being raised up. Samuel has to interact with them. Imagine being an old, mature prophet of God, and you've got to interact with this young man. You know the whole thing's out of order. You've warned him. You're trying to lead him in the right way, and he's not listening. Oh, well, you understand, Samuel. I just had to offer the sacrifice. Listen to what he says. Why have you done this? See, this is the second phase of Samuel's ministry. You need to confront. You need to correct. That's never nice. Why have you done this? Why are you correcting me? Because not according to the word of God. Correction is a part of biblical preaching and ministry. It's not enough to preach up here. If something's out of order, I'll say, why, why are you doing that? What you do at that point is very important. It seems like a small point. Samuel here is asking Saul, why did you do this? Listen to his answer. Because I saw the people being scattered from me. He's moved from faith, leadership, the anointing to his eye, fear of losing people. How am I going to fight the enemy? Do you know throughout his whole military career, and it was remarkable in Israel, he was an amazing soldier. Do you know the biggest army he raised was 200,000? Remember under the anointing when he's a nobody, he raised an army of 330,000. He'll never get back there ever again in 40 years. Never, not once. The highest he gets to is 200,000. And that's with great organization, great skill, maturity, experience. And he can't build a bigger army than the Holy Spirit of God brought to him when he got angry against the enemy. And he was a nobody. He was a donkey looker after, running after donkeys. They're not even yours, they're your dad's. Who are you? But the anointing of God is there. Do you know what he started doing was getting an attitude. He says, look, listen to me. I forced myself, therefore, and I offered a burnt offering. Do you know what he said? I forced myself. In other words, what was hindering him? 
Oh, Samuel, you don't understand. I had to force myself to do this. That means his conscience was hindering him. You shouldn't be doing that. Don't go there. Don't be involved with that. Don't be in that ministry. I had to force myself. Would have been better if you hadn't forced yourself. And I had to do this thing. Then he moves on and he begins to blame people. In chapter 13, he blames Samuel. In chapter 14, he blames his son, Jonathan. In chapter 15, he blames the people and blames God. From here on in, you're dealing with a king, a leadership, a form of leadership that blames everybody else for their own action. You're on very dangerous ground now. And the Lord says, now would I have established you. I would have established you for, as king forever. But he says, you know what? Your kingdom will not continue. You'll say, that wasn't a big issue to get left behind on. You know what? Little attitudes are absolutely vital. When you don't fear God anymore, and you're not small in your own eyes anymore, and you're not listening anymore, and you're blaming others. You see, it's going to take a long time for this to come to maturity, where it's utter rejection. But he's on that pathway. Little attitudes. You think, I should be doing this. I should be in ministry. Maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you need to go through the fires and through pits and through caves like David. Maybe that's a safer way. You're demanding things. You know, R.T. Kendall is a preacher who took over from Martin Lloyd-Jones. And before long, he ran after the false prophet, Paul Cain. He led multitudes of evangelicals into charismatic confusion. Paul Cain was a drunkard and a homosexual. And here you have the follower of Martin Lloyd-Jones, R.T. Kendall. And he done this. You know, when he stepped out in ministry, he told his dad. I heard from his own lips told his dad, his dad was disappointed because he changed churches. And he said, do you know what? In one year, I'll have an international ministry. Wise father's father was a godly, holy man. He said, hold on, let me get the pen and paper. And he wrote it down and said, okay, so you say from one year's time, you're going to have, okay, let's write down. He was selling stuff from doors to doors in one year's time. Now R.T. Kendall caused a lot of problems in the body of Christ, deceived by a false prophet, bringing deception into Westminster Chapel. The Toronto blessing confused immoral prophets. All of this. You just need to slow down a bit. See, the Lord said at this point, I have sought for a man after my own heart. Third of all, you have rejection and replacement in chapter 15, the Amalekites, God comes to Saul again. And I want you to see this. Do you know how long a period it was between point two and point three? A period of at least 20 years. So for a period of 20 years in Saul's kingship leadership, there's a time where Samuel interacts with them in confrontation and correction. You know, God's very patient. If you're in a period in your walk, in the church, in the body of Christ, and God's correcting, God's dealing, things keep getting brought up. God's very patient. He never throws someone on the scrap heap after six months or a year. He doesn't. Here's a man like Saul. Look how patient God was. Using Samuel. Do you realize how much patience I would take from Samuel? 
Some of you would say, I wouldn't have any time for Saul. I'd finish with him. Damn him to hell. Samuel didn't. Samuel's interacting with him for a period of 20 years. Warning, warning, warning. You know, there's lots of people I won't cut myself off from. I'll keep warning, keep preaching, keep reaching out to them because I care about the body. Even leadership that has gone wrong, I'll still reach out to them. And so you have between chapter 14 and chapter 15, two chapters together, you've got a period of at least 20 years. What's happening? Samuel is trying to warn, trying to warn, trying to warn. This king is right for only two years, and in 38 years, he increasingly goes wrong. Can you imagine being, having the ministry of Samuel the prophet, where you've got a minister to leadership that is all out of order, they're not listening to God, they're becoming callous, they're blaming everyone else, they're riding off everyone else's coattails. See, a time comes of rejection and replacement after 20 years. And so God comes to Saul again and says, I want you to destroy the Amalekites, everything, all, completely. And this was a prophecy given 200 years ago to Joshua. Can you imagine getting a prophecy in the Bible where God says, no other man has been chosen for this, but I want you to do it. It's written in Scripture. I have bypassed great men. Not even Samuel's going to do this. I want you to do it. This is after 20 years of God trying to correct this leadership, trying to warn this leadership, trying to show this leadership about their heart. 20 years. And now God comes and says, look, I want to use you to do a great, unique work in the nation. You're going to be the vessel. And you know what happens? When he sets himself to do it, he saves the king alive, the sheep alive, the cows alive. And then when Samuel comes on the scene, he meets Samuel and says, hey, guess what? Praise God, I've done it. I've got rid of the Amalekites. Samuel goes, what's that bleating I hear in my ears? And the neighing of the cattle. And what's this king? You've kept the king alive. Can't you do anything? Can't you do anything? Can't you just obey God? Do you think you're so important that you don't need to obey God? You can disobey God. You can make up your own plan for the church, for God's ministry, and yet God's going to bless you. How long? God's born with you for 20 plus years. All the excuses, all the conniving. Listen to what he says to him. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, thou hast also been rejected from being king. After all these decades, God rejects him and said, you are rejected. What's the third point? Rejection and replacement. Samuel has to deliver the message. God has rejected you. God's had enough. You are now finished in ministry. Do you know this man? Look at him. Pride, jealousy, suspicion. All of this grows over this 20 years. Insecure. Be very careful of leadership insecure. See if you're an insecure person, please don't go into leadership. Will you do me a favor? 
If you're an insecure person, you know what? You will hurt someone. You can get victory over that. You can be sanctified. But if you don't deal with that, one of these times, you will hurt people like Saul. Angry, murderous in his heart, vengeful, arrogant, a false accuser, self-centered, centralizing God's work around himself. Counting numbers. Every time you see him, he's either got a spear in his hand or he's counting those that are following him. Samuel never done that. Never, ever did Samuel do that. But Saul does. 600, 2,000, 3,000, 200,000, 300,000. Constantly numbering the people of Israel. I thought we weren't to number the people of Israel. Oh, we're not in it for the numbers. One, two, three, four, five. Now some of you are getting worried because you've counted previously. Do you see the danger of this man? Two years he was God's chosen leader. Now for 38 years, he's going to sit on the throne, rejected. God's had enough, but God leaves him there. Oh, but he's fighting God's battle. He's sitting on God's throne. He can muster God's people. Large gatherings. He must be of God. Look at the massiveness of this. Look, at everyone is under his authority. He's anointed of God. I know, but he's rejected. He's actually rejected. I've got videos in my home, and I'm, I, don't ask for them, okay? Don't ask to see them. But I've got videos of Jimmy Swaggart in about 1987 holding three meetings in his church. He's the man that was called out in 1988. He was shaking America with the preaching of the gospel. He was shaking the Catholic church in the Western world. He was a great power in the pulpit. He preached against everything. But in 1987, sorry, 1988, he got caught out in immorality repeatedly, blatantly. You know what his problem was? It wasn't immorality, it was pride. Pride was his great sin. Pride is still his great sin. But that man, the year before 1987, I've got three messages where David Wilkerson preaches in his pulpit. One of the messages is on Samuel the sin of Samuel and the fall of Samuel. In one of those videos, he stands in the pulpit, David Wilkerson trembling, and he said, there's a leader on this platform going into women. And God's calling them to repentance. See, God deals with people. He really, really does. And so you have here that he's warned now, you're rejected, but that took time. The fourth thing is isolation. It says in chapter 15, 35, and Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul and the Lord repented that he had made him king over Israel. He repented. Lord said, I wish I'd never made him king. But sure you knew that. Do you see how the Lord interacts with you as you are now, dealing with your heart always? It's very precious. Here's a time where Samuel ministry, you're no longer going to preach to him, warn him, correct him, go to him, or interact with him. Your ministry's finished with Saul. He's finished. He's finito. It's all over. There's a time comes when God stops ministering. Do you know what Saul lost? He lost lots of important things. He lost his humility. 
He lost his integrity. He lost the mercy of God. It says in Chronicles, I will not take my mercy from Solomon, David's son, as I took it from Saul. Saul once had God's mercy, but God says, I took my mercy away from Saul. He lost the mercy of God. He lost the voice of God. Remember, he couldn't make God speak to him. God refused to speak to him. What did he do? He went to a witch just to get communication, to speak to Samuel from beyond the grave. He lost the anointing of God. Remember when he finally dies? It was said of him, his shield was thrown away in the field as if he'd never been anointed. But you don't know that until the end. While he's in ministry, you don't think that. It's when he dies, how he dies. You can start well, but don't finish well. But worst of all, he lost God. He lost God. He lost the reality and power of God. Once God blessed him, God chose him, God anointed him, God spoke to him, God dealt with him, God delivered him, God anointed him with the power of the Holy Spirit. Sixth and lastly, opposition. I'm talking about this. I'm finishing right now. But I want you to see how this finishes. This is Saul leadership. You know you could have Saul leadership in the home. Men, listen to me. Are you going to be like Samuel's sons? Is that the sort of leadership you want in the home? Are you going to have Saul leadership? Are you going to have David leadership in the home? Are you more like David as a man in your house? Are you more like Saul in your house? I hope there's no Saul's. But fifth and lastly, and this is the last, Saul's opposition to Samuel. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul? Do you see how he's broken? They rejected you all those years ago and replaced you with Saul, and yet you helped him and you preached him. Then he stops listening to you, even rips your robe. This, this man doesn't listen, doesn't care about spiritual things, and yet you're broken because God has rejected him, and you don't have any more message for him. I don't have anything to preach to you. God help you if it gets to a stage where God doesn't speak to you anymore. I'm not talking about the ability just to hear. I'm talking about sitting in a meeting like this and you're not convicted or dealt with or challenged or rebuked anymore. If you get beyond that and God doesn't speak into your life, it's a terrible place, really terrible. Opposition. How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, saying, I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill thy horn with oil and go, I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite. So I have provided me a king amongst his sons. And so Samuel said, how can I go? Because if Saul hears it, he will kill me. This is the man who anointed you. This is the man who chose you. This is the man who walked with you. This is the man who went into battle with you. He's an old, mature, godly prophet of God with a long history. He's watched leadership structures rise and fall. And now it's in the heart of Saul. Now God's saying, go anoint the young 17-year-old shepherd boy out on the hillside. He said, if Saul hears this, he will kill me. You know Saul. You know that type of leadership. God's finished with it. And you know what? If you're part of what God actually does now, Saul leadership will kill you, Samuel. He will lift a spear and ram it through you. Do you know he spends the next years chasing David with a spear in his hand, saying, I want to kill that young man. He knows he's anointed. 
He knows he's going to be the king of Israel. He knows he's God's choice. Do you see everything I've told you in, king's leader, in Saul's leadership is all because Israel were not patient and all because Samuel says, I'm getting old. And because of that, their heart, God says, okay, I will give you a king and his name's going to be Saul. And it's the best you're ever going to get in this period until David arises. Saints of God, as we close, can I give you a warning? Be very careful of demanding to get your way. Because I only know one who knows what's best for you. I only know one who will give you what is good for you. I only know one who is wise enough to know all things, all hearts that I can really trust. And that is the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Lord Jesus Christ. The sad end of Saul, he goes to a witch the day before he's going to die on the battlefield. Archers pierce his body with arrows. He is fatally wounded. He then attempts a failed suicide. His shield is cast away, and he is left as if he had never, ever been anointed to be a leader in Israel. Please stand with me. <clears throat> Father, we thank you, Lord God. Father, Lord God, while these are not nice things, yet they're necessary things, they're important things. And for this church, as a Samuel church, Father, we know that there's going to come a monumental change in leadership in our world. We have seen the change in trends that sweep the church, that sweep the body of Christ. And oh God, we know that we are in for a universal, a widespread change in leadership across the church. And Father, we pray that you'd give us a voice, that you'd have us in the right place to interact with all that is happening in this hour and generation. We're asking for the wisdom of God and the grace of God. We're asking for the blessing of God that one last time that you'd raise up out of the confusion of this soul leadership that we have had a watch. We have watched it play games with your word. We have watched it play games with the anointing. We've watched it play games with numbers. We have watched it play games with a real prophet of God. And my God, I'm asking of you that you'd bear with us long enough that we might see a radical change that we would see a David leadership raised up in the house of God again. Father, I'm praying that this church is going to be used in your hand to see leadership raised up that's according to your heart and your mind and your desire, that you'd raise up David leadership in the home, that we'd have husbands and fathers raised up who are going to be like this shepherd's heart, that are going to follow you. We ask, oh God, that you would raise up even politicians, even at this late hour, this dark hour. My God, raise up anointed politicians that have the power of the Holy Ghost that could speak out against the corruption and the wickedness. Have teachers that are anointed of the Holy Spirit that would speak out in the classroom. My God, have shepherds and preachers that would arise in this hour. We are asking in this last hour of church history, Raise up a monumental change of governmental leadership right across the body of Christ. My God, let, let the fall of Saul be swift. But Lord God, prepare your Davids right now. Make them ready for a set time, for an hour, oh God, where you're going to anoint them, prepare them, raise them up, and use them one last time to see glory in Israel. In Jesus' mighty name.